0: Hey, welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist podcast. This is the eighth episode in the Transformation Project, and I'm so looking forward to sharing this with you. But first, I'm kind of wondering if you have had a summer like mine. Time for me seems to be going so fast, but I seem to be falling behind. I'm not sure what's happening, but life gets in the way sometimes, I guess, and I'm learning to just take deep breaths and let all the things fall into place just as they are intended to. So today, I'm going to encourage you to take deep breaths, to be aware of where you are right now, to take time to just settle in and be present in your moment. Okay, that was your free lesson for the day. And now I'm excited to share this episode with you. Today, you get to hear my interview with Lynette Sorrentino. Lynette is a mom of two grown children, and she lives in Nebraska with her partner, and she loves to play outdoors with her grandkids. In her career, Lynette has been very successful in network marketing over a long period of time and has taken all of those years of experience and put together a coaching package Developed specifically for women and moms who are entrepreneurs. She created this to help others learn to find balance and reduce stress as they are building their business. And I'm sure you want to hear more about that. But Lynette also has a life story, a hard story. But there is redemption at the end. And I am always amazed by that. I know you will be blessed by this story, and I hope this adds value to your day. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life, stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Lynette. Thank you so much for being on today and letting us have this little conversation.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. I feel very... Um very honored and blessed to be able to just have this conversation with you. And if there's anyone we can help as a result of this, then that's what we're here for.
0: Won't that be fun? If there's one person even?
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Good. So we're going to hear your story and I'm so excited. But before we get going, I want you to tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you live, uh, who you live with, your job, all that stuff.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I live here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I am I won't, I'm not afraid to say it. I'll be—I'm 62 years old. Nice. Um have a birthday coming up. I started having kids late in life. I met their father late in life, and we couldn't get pregnant, so both of our kids are adopted, and we have relationships with our birth families. Um, my daughter is 19, and my son is 23, and we all live here in Lincoln. Um, I've been in a relationship for about 10 years, and so we have a blended family where his daughters are adults and have grandkids that are in the mix of. My, the grandkids are in the mix of my kids, so it makes it pretty fun and interesting, plus some other littles. But uh, uh, I keep pretty busy. Um, I have been self-employed for lots of years. I took a job about five and a half years ago with a corporation um, just because I had some life happen and I needed to get uh, myself financially on my feet a little bit more. So I've been in uh, payment processing and in business technology for about the last five and a half to six years. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's all B2B business, but my love is really working with entrepreneurs and and mompreneurs and and working from home, I've always had that flexibility, so I have to have that freedom hat on at all times.
0: <laughs> I love that. So you have a you have a good um, side gig
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: yeah. Well, I want to hear more about that too. And I think you're
1: even growing another side gig so the um so I've got the full time job, and then the side gig is a coaching business. I'm taking a lot of the years of experience I had in direct sales. And had a lot of success there in helping other women grow their side gigs and businesses. And I'm taking some of that knowledge that's in my head. And I was very, very blessed by some women to teach me a lot of things and mentor me. So I want to be able to pass it on as well. So I created a coaching business um, called Advanced You.
2: And it's about helping
1: people find their recipe for success. And one of the courses that I'm creating is one called Chaos to Boss. And it's essentially helping mompreneurs and professional women Find that structure and organization in their life that they're missing um, I'm, by, not by nature a person who would say I want structure. I want organization. I'm that freedom person uh-huh. But I had to go kicking and screaming towards organization and structure So that I could cope, you know, I my <laughs> mind was going a million miles an hour sure. And Then you add in um, getting married and you add kids if you don't have that you can be just a crazy woman Particularly. We're trying to carry it all in our head So I figured out systems to do that and was taught some systems So now if I can help moms and women be able to go from that chaotic state and probably the people I can help the most are ones who don't naturally have structure because we don't know how to have it. The ones who need structure already have it because they just walk it that way. (laughs) I
0: I am not by nature a structure person either. I like to fly by the seat of my pants most of the time, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I've learned that if I'm going to be, you know, the recipe for success part of that is if I don't have structure and organization and a plan. Then nothing happens and everything's chaotic and you waste way more time and money than you need to because everything's chaotic.
0: Yeah, that's so that is the truth. Those are some good words. We will put for sure your all your info in the show notes, but I do want to get to your story. I want to hear we all want to hear about your story. You know, this season, I'm talking with 15 women who have gone through some hard things in life and then have come out on the other end transformed. And so you are one of those women. It's just been super fun to be able to hear people's stories. So let's just jump in. I want to hear, just hear about your life, the event that changed you.
1: Well, I think we all have Things in life that caused us to pivot or caused us to start new chapters. But probably the most significant one was there were actually three events that happened within like a three or four month period. Um, We all have times when we have those milestone birthdays. Yeah. And my milestone birthday was 50. Mm -hmm. And I looked at 50 and said, here's where I am and where am I going and I'm not where I want to be. So that was causing some reflection. Mm -hmm. And that was to give you a picture of the timeline that was the end of June. Okay. In 2007, then I got a call on Labor Day weekend. So just two and a half, you know, short months later, I got a call. I was living in Washington state. All my family is from Nebraska. And I got a call from my brother-in-law and said, your dad is very ill. And I'm blessed because he was my stepdad, but he's my dad, you know, one sure. of those people. And he said, he's ill. We think he may have cancer, um, maybe in his colon or something. And, literally from the phone call that I got on Friday, I was on an airplane back to Nebraska on Sunday and he passed away on Monday night at 10 o'clock.
0: So you were there.
1: So thank goodness I was able to be there. Sure. Fast forward to the end of that week then is when his funeral was there.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I had been in Washington state for five years at that point Um, had really just, we had just moved out there because uh, my children's dad just wanted to live out there. and, I did it because I wanted to keep my marriage happy or try to do what he wanted. And we moved away from all of our friends, all of our family, started over with my business, started over with my uh home based business. So mm-hmm. there was some income coming in, but it was like opening up a new um a new branch. Sure. You know what sure. I mean?
0: And I want to ask, that really wasn't what you wanted. Is that right? Is that what
1: you're saying? My everything in my everything in my intuition told me not to. Okay. I it really wasn't what I wanted to, but I just was Honestly, tired of him complaining about where, he lived, where he, we lived and not liking our life. And so I just said, fine, you know, I'm superwoman. I can do anything. I can go build a business anywhere, right? Sure. And we moved out there. And so when we came back, when we were there for my dad's funeral, all these women, all the support system, um, there were people who drove three hours to be at a funeral at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, one of my mentors took like three airplane flights to get to that oh, funeral. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: And I saw... Mm-hmm. I saw myself surrounded by women with such support that I hadn't felt in the entire five years I lived in Washington state, yeah, and the ultimate thing was that I realized I had given up everything for this man and still was very unhappy.
0: yeah,
1: I'm gonna ask a question. Were you unhappy before you left? um yes, I think I don't think our marriage was all that good. It was one where you know I think we <laughs> ironically i I'm a believer in visualization and affirmations and creating goal posters. And so I created this great goal poster that he was on that goal poster. He filled a lot of the check marks on the goal poster, but it was like looking at this beautiful, beautiful picture book on your coffee table and you see it, but you didn't look inside the book to read it. Uh... I didn't dig deep enough. I didn't trust my intuition because my biological clock was ticking and I was so desperate to get married and have a family which ultimately we weren't able to do because the infertility doctor told me that my eggs were too old. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) So at 39 and a half, here we are, you know? Yeah. Um, And we were blessed to, you know, when he told me that, we were blessed that, you know, within three months, we found out about our son's birth mom. And by the next January, we were parents. Mm. So there was a different planet place than was supposed to have happened. Right. Um, So I would say when we lived uh, in Missouri, I don't know that we were. I don't know that our marriage was super happy, but overall things were happier because we had um, couples that we did things with, and there was some more support system. And I was only, you know, six hour drive from my family because my family, my parents, you know, they're very, I've always just been very close to them. Mm-hmm. So being halfway across the country, yeah, and not having access to that, yeah, it was very was hard. It was just very, 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 very difficult. And there were some friendships and and. Neighbors and people we establish relationships with. But that connection with girlfriends, with the exception of one, was never there. And that connection really happened more as the divorce started to happen.
2: Yeah.
1: All the friendships were back in the Midwest. And I just felt very isolated. I felt very alone. And I started to question some, you know, that, that was that aha moment that I had when my dad passed away. Right. And I just marinated on it for a while. And I just felt like I was supposed to come back to Kansas City to work with some of my team. And that was the beginning of December. There's some things that happened over that weekend that just kind of became some revelations like you've given up everything. You need to make some changes. And there were just some confirmations with conversations, et cetera. I came back to Washington, sat down and had a conversation with him. And then the next morning, and our son had been ill, not feeling well, the next morning he took our son to the doctor and he was diagnosed as a type one diabetic. So that was a whole nother shift. Oh, so there's another like compounded. It was the triplet. You know, we had me turning 50, my dad passing away, and then my son being diagnosed um, as a type one diabetic. I mean, it was just everything just went, and that was all in 07. And then my dad passed away in 07, and then Tanner was diagnosed. So that's when everything just started falling apart with the economy at that point. So everything just blew up and we found ourselves with, um, over our head in our house and subsequently needing to file bankruptcy. And, and, but that was really the pivotal moment was really, I had given up everything.
2: Um,
1: I was not happy before, but at least I had the people around me, but then going out there to be so isolated. Yeah. I, I just was all alone. I just felt all alone. Yeah. So you had felt very
0: connected because you had all of these people around you and the people who loved you and a, and a tribe basically, right? Exactly. exactly. And then you get there and you have all these things, all these hard things that you have to experience and you don't have a tribe and you realize it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it was because you, our, our son had, we just had, had behavior challenges and a lot of variety of things that happened with our son. And I was supporting the family and he was trying to decide what he wanted to do with his life as far as a career or starting a business. And so literally the feeling that I had that weekend, I went back to Kansas City in December was like, I felt like the, all the burdens of the family were on me and I was crumbling underneath the weight. It was the emotional, the financial, the spiritual, all the support of everything was on me. And yeah. I i was just, I got to a point where I was crumbling.
0: You were crumbling. So I want to know, was there, here you are, you know, in this place was, was there a moment in time that you just knew things were not going to be the same?
1: Well, certainly when my son was diagnosed as a type one diabetic, I went life was our life. As we know, it will change forever has changed forever yeah, because of the education and maintenance and the, and the risks and, and just having a diabetic. Sure. But I also just knew that When I was at my dad's funeral and I just looked around and said, I've given up all my life and all everything for this person. I'm very unhappy. I knew life wasn't going to be the same because I am one of those people who will be very tolerant and and I will. Sometimes I'm very patient when I have a goal. I'm very impatient. I just go after it. But in other circumstances, I'm usually pretty patient and I'm not. I will put up with things or whatever, but after, but then once I see something and make a decision, it's like, bam, pivot, make a change. Mm -hmm. Once I kind of recognize it. And at that point, that's really kind of realized one, we need to address some things with this marriage or else it needs to go, or we need to move back to Nebraska or we need to end it or whatever. I wasn't sure what it looked like, but I knew that I could no longer go on because I think it's like, it's like the pretty woman moment. Once she realized that she didn't have to live, in the way that she did, her brain was changed. She could never go back.
0: No, I think that's really true. When you have this, like, kind of an aha moment or a mm-hmm. an awakening, in some mm-hmm, ways, mm-hmm. that you can't not know
1: it anymore. You can't. You can't go. You just can't go back. It's like once you learn how to walk, you can't go back and crawl. Mm-mm. You just can't not know it. And I knew that things were going to have to change, and navigating that was very, very, very difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. When you realized it, you know, when you realized, okay, I can't go back to whatever it was that we had, we have to do something different. I mean, what were your first responses to that?
1: I'm not sure because I think there was, there was the grief of losing my dad and not being around family. So I think a lot of my responses were, um, I want to go home.
0: Yeah. You were, you were Um, functioning out of grief.
1: Yeah, and that's so I think between that and just the whole grief, I don't know if I remember a lot of those initial responses other than I want to go home, I want to be where it's comfortable, have people around me because it was like a double grief. It was losing my dad with so many incredible memories as a stepdad, but at the same time the grief of realizing that this marriage that I have is really not at all where I want it to be and and what do I do with that and where do I go with it? And even though I could see where it needed to go, we had to make decisions together. And he and I were not on that same page. And there was just a there was just a whole jumble of, of emotions around that.
0: Yeah. A lot of emotions around that. Yeah. And so your first response is, I just need to go home. And what did you do?
1: Well, I just tried to, you know, from September when we had my dad's funeral until I went to back to kansas city in december so that was you know basically three months i was just trying to maintain exist and try to keep my head above water and and i just started connecting more with my friends i just became more intentional about connecting with those people that i had lost touch with sure so i i started reaching back out to them and that's where that started Mm -hmm. then when i came back to kansas city and realized that you know we really have some issues with our marriage here and i realized all the burdens and all that, cause I'm just a strong person. So I'll just take stuff on without realizing what those, how many burdens I'm taking on my back.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that was probably the major aha of all these burdens I was carrying and that I didn't have to be carrying them. And then I needed to have a conversation with him. And he reacted in a very fearful way. And what does this mean for me? And what is, what do you want? And he was day-to-day wanting answers when I was just trying to have a conversation about how I was feeling and resolving it. He then wanted immediate answers that I didn't have and I said I don't have answers I'm trying to figure this out one day at a time. And of course the next day our son was diagnosed as a diabetic and so the sh- in my head the sh- focus had to shift towards caring for our son. We needed to put us uh, to the side and focus on our son and all this new transition of his life That at 10 years old he has to prick his finger five to six times a day. Right and and a whole new life change and. Their dad didn't want to do that. He was still out talking to me every single day, wondering what this meant for his life. And I went, you just need to chill about this. And so the more he kind of came at me with that, the farther he pushed me away. Yeah. The farther you went away. Exactly. Yeah. So then what happened? Well, there were a lot of, um, we did come back that Christmas to celebrate with my mom. So she wasn't by herself, but it was actually a very magical Christmas, we had snow when a friend of mine from Mm -hmm. Lincoln brought his horses down, we rode our horses in the snow, and we sledded, and it was just like a Hallmark Christmas card. It was just amazing. Yeah. But there's all this tension and all this, and and just kept pushing me away and pushing me and pushing me away. And this went on through May or June. And part of that was that this relationship that we had was this strong woman that I am. I have had to work really hard in my life to have good self-esteem. You know, you can't teach your kids what you don't have. My mom didn't have it. I have had, you know, that's just the way it goes, right?
2: Yeah.
1: So our relationship was, I know now was a very passive aggressive relationship. I took, I went from this strong woman who had this business that he started, that he quit his full-time job with to work with me in it, but he wanted to run it instead of me who had already been running it. Yeah. So it was very passive aggressive in that I found myself listening to my mentors on one shoulder and him telling me things to do on the other shoulder, and it was constantly second guessing myself and wondering if I was doing the right thing because I was getting second guessed by him. So I, it, I, through those all those months, I just realized that I could not—I was finding myself not capable of making a decision at all on my own. You kind of shut down. I, so I was shutting down, probably close to a nervous breakdown. Uh huh. And. And this had all gone on throughout our marriage. I just didn't realize it. You don't know what you don't know, know sometimes right. until you have this light bulb on. And a couple of ladies, people referred me to a couple of books. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is me. I'm in these books. And there's him. And here's the kids, you know. And I realized what was going on. But he, because of his background of his career, had taken a lot of classes through detective work and police classes and stuff because of his former job. And I was afraid of telling him the truth because I was afraid of what was going to happen with custody with kids. I was wanting to move back to Nebraska and he originally had suggested it, but then the more I pursued moving back home because we were going under financially as well. Uh-huh. And he said, no, so I can see a battle coming with custody. And I just got very, very fearful and afraid of him, mm-hmm. not in a physical way, but just the passive aggressiveness and, and what he was capable of, of doing or that he, you know, I didn't feel like I could tell him the truth and he would figure out if I wasn't. And so there was a whole lot of confusion and trying to just figure out what to do or how to handle it because I could not, at that point I was so feeling so isolated and the feeling towards, I need to go home feeling even stronger. Yeah. I didn't feel like I could spend another day there
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and I wanted to just escape. I mean, there comes a point where you just, you just want to Run away, yes. And I felt that when I wanted to just run away with the kids, and I actually had an attorney told me to do that, and just go back to Nebraska on vacation. But it all blew up, and I came back to Nebraska to get some of our stuff, and was served with papers. It blew up, and then it got into a six-figure custody battle that lasted a year and a half. Um, and meanwhile, I had moved. I went. I I then had to make a decision: Do I stay in Washington, or do I continue to move back to Nebraska without the kids? And that was another pivotal moment
2: Yeah,
1: because the last thing I wanted to do was leave my kids, the last thing on earth. But I knew that if I didn't move to Nebraska because I didn't have the support system, that nothing was going to change other than my address to a different house to rent.
2: Yeah,
1: I would still be under that control. And I would never be the mom that I wanted to be for my daughter or to my son. Yeah. And I then had to, and of course, when I'm questioning all this, everybody just thought, well, you guys seem like the perfect, happy family. And is she just going through this grief or maybe it's a midlife crisis. Cause she just turned 50. So everybody thought I was a crazy woman. Yeah. Everybody thought I was just because I had done, I had just put up with an, an, an act and I had, I'm a stuffer. So I was stuffing all this stuff. Right. Then when everybody heard that, you know, we're not happy or whatever, then it's like, well, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And what are you thinking? And yeah, and it's like, well, this has just come to surface from everything that's been building. Yeah. And what I really finally started telling people said, you know, if I were black and blue, you wouldn't be second guessing my decisions. My but my bruises are on the inside. You just can't see them.
0: I love that analogy. It's so true. That happens
1: to so many women. It happens, and you don't. And and it's very. You cannot prove. That you can't, and there was alienation going on. There were things that I know that were said to the kids; they would have never come up with those words on their own. Mm-hmm. And of course, those were denied. You know, I grew to a point where I hated him. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward from '08 to now, we can have civil conversations. I'm not afraid of him. You know, it looks different, but that's the way I felt. Sure. Then back then, and and you can't you can't prove those things in mm-hmm. a court. You can't prove those things. No. So I want to talk a
0: little bit about. I want to talk some more about the impact of your relationships. So you were saying that people were like, she's crazy. (laughs) What's happening? Or she's, she's just functioning out of her grief or she, something's going on like midlife crisis or whatever it was that they were saying, did you lose friends? Did you gain friends? Did you get clear about who your
1: friends were or what? Good question. So the people in my closest circle, the couples that we did things with when we lived in Missouri, they're all still my dearest, closest friends. Mm. I've known them for over 20 years. Sure. There were some people in my circle through my business network that no longer are my friends and wouldn't speak to me. And that I think, I don't know if it was just like, well, she's getting a divorce or I don't know what they're, but anyway, there's never been conversations. And that was very, very painful because it's like, you're all in the same organization and you're all friends. And yeah, but they're the rubber did meet the road with it, with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the people that were around us in Washington, they were the ones who primarily said that because they didn't know me that well. They didn't know what our life was like Before. in Missouri. They just saw us there as the perfect couple. Mm-hmm. And they never saw the true me because those, that was just not the intimacy of those friendships there. Mm-hmm with the exception of one person. And when I came back to Washington to, you know, get my things, I came back and I thought I was going to be able to just have a civil conversation with him and get my stuff. And I came back and the, the door was locked. My car was in the driveway instead of the garage and the, and um, the keys were there, but I was locked. And the locks had been changed in the house. And I had been served with papers. So I found myself at that time homeless. I had my car. Yeah. I had nowhere to go. So I called one of my friends and just told her what happened. And we'd gotten along fine on a professional level, but we weren't that deep of friends, but she was the only person I knew I could call. And she has, um, she and her husband have a beautiful home that was about 30 miles north of us. And and it's in an apartment that her parents would stay in, in the spring and in the fall when they weren't on the boat or in Hawaii or whatever. So she just said, you can come stay with me. Oh, so I stayed there at her house, and which was a blessing. And uh, my daughter came and stayed with me. But then there came a point when her parents were coming back off the boat to live there for a few weeks to go back, then go in the fall to Hawaii. So I had to make a decision then. Do I stay in Washington and rent a house or do I go to the house I'd already rented in Nebraska? Yeah. And, and that was the hardest decision of my life was what to do. Yeah. Um, and I remember talking to my friend and she said, girl you're close to a nervous breakdown. You need to get yourself out of here or you're never going to get, you're never going to. And she was really the one that just said somehow you'll, you'll figure it out. But if you, you're, you're going to, you're going to, I was going to be in a nervous breakdown and be in a hospital. So it's either go save you know, save yourself first, move to Nebraska
2: Yeah.
1: or, and that's, and that's kind of where I went, how it went. So, I did find it very, very difficult once I moved to Nebraska when I would go out and meet people, and you know, so you know how you are. Well, so tell me about you. When do you have kids? And yeah, I got kids. Okay, where do they go to school? Um, they're with their dad in Washington. That was a whole journey of not being embarrassed and not feeling ashamed of the fact that my kids weren't living with me because you just think of moms, kids always living with their moms.
0: How did you get through that?
1: One step in front of the other.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I I um sometimes would just make up something, and sometimes I would give kind of a just a simple answer. Uh and then finally I just would, you know, I guess go into a little bit more detail, maybe more info than they wanted to ask, but I just said, you know, just had an ugly ugly divorce that did not work out the way we wanted to and it's not the result I wanted, but my kids live in Washington with their dad. And I would say, it's not the result I wanted, but this is where it is. Um yeah. because I I didn't want people to feel like I had abandoned or given up on my kids because that was the last thing that could have happened. Um, Honestly, if it weren't for them, I had thought about about putting a gun to my head several times because it was just so difficult living without them and starting all over.
0: Sure. So you got to kind of a really dark place. Yeah. So what helped you? Or was there a person or a thing or therapy or coaching or I don't know what? What helped you get past that dark place?
1: Well, part of it was just necessity. I had to put my foot in front of I was self-employed. I had to put my foot in front of the other every single day. Sure. But you didn't.
0: Okay. I just want to say you didn't have to. Like there are options of just like people have, people don't, right? They just shut down. So you did. So where did you find that strength?
1: I guess it's farm girl work ethic. I don't know. I, I <laughs> you just you know you I had just, to I just saw my mom so many times. You know, I think first of all, I just didn't see any option. I have responsibilities to support my kids and take care of them and keep a roof over my head. So it's I guess it's that work ethic. Um, you know, I also had just seen my mom. She was divorced when I was twelve. Mm-hmm. She remarried and then she had buried one husband from a heart attack and then just you know, then very another husband, I just saw her resiliency and her just always keep going. And so I just, that's the paradigm in a good way, I guess, that was created is that that's just what you do. Yeah. I just didn't see it as any other option. I just have to keep going and keep working. And mm-hmm. um, I think I had a great support system that I just had some really good people to just, call and vent to, you know, mm. sometimes I just need, cause I'm an outward processor. Uh-huh. So I just, if I need to talk things out. And so I had some great people in my life and support system to help me verbalize it and help me rationalize and talk through things. So that was a huge thing. I just had also decided when I was going to move back to Nebraska, this is a new life I'm going to create.
2: Yeah.
1: I had p- created a picture in my mind of that new life I was going to create. So that was also a motivator. Yeah. I didn't, I had to deal with the grief of of going through the divorce and stuff with kids and battling that on a day to day basis, but I also had a picture in my mind of where I was going. Uh, so you had vision. Yeah, I did. I, I knew how I wanted my life to look like. How it was going to be different? Because if I was going to give up all of that and change all of that, well, then I had to have I had to have another direction. It's like if you're not going to go down this road, then what road are you going to go down? You have to know what that looks like and where you're going. Absolutely, that's the way my brain works. So that vision was there and what I was going to create and how I was going to. Uh, get my business back up and grow it more from where it had gone down when we lived out in Washington. Yeah. You know, but I also highly, highly leaned on my faith. Mm. And I think it got stronger and stronger throughout this process. There were, I just know that that God was talking to me. I just knew that there were things going on that I was supposed to move back to Nebraska. Yeah. And I just learned to listen to that.
0: Your faith was giving you, the strength you needed to move through this really hard, awful thing that you never expected. Exactly. I want to go back a little bit and talk about expectations. And so before this event of, you know, getting divorced, even the whole, that whole year. So let's just say if you'd go back to 2006, okay. Mm -hmm. What were your expectations for your life?
1: What do you think, what did you think your
0: life was going to look like before that?
1: You know, I'm just, um, the optimist. And so I just kept thinking that this vision I had when I started the business and I was, I was growing it and growing it. I just had this vision of where that was going to go and how we are in and just, I had this picture. So that's a good thing. I had this picture of where I was going. Yeah, the challenging part was where I was in that picture. There was that gap in there Mm -hmm. That there was it was really messed up and there was a lot of stuff that wasn't going right even there But I was so focused on that And just thinking if I just keep doing one step at a time and just keep doing it I'm going to get there and all this will get itself worked out But -hmm. in the meantime, there was a lot of stuff that was working against me or was challenging But -hmm. maybe that was my way of somehow dealing with it on a day-to-day basis because there was a lot of tension and a lot of you know, my son was having a lot of difficulties in school, and so there were a lot of behavior issues with him. And then you get that didn't help the marriage at all. I mean, there were nights I couldn't wait to go for him to go to bed so I could have a Manhattan. Yeah, you of know, course. so
2: there were probably course. some self
1: medicating things going on there. And uh, how was that affecting our daughter? And then all the things of the finances. And so there was just so my so expectation much. was still that I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to rise and this is going to turn out okay because I expect that of myself.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that sometimes people just keep going, even when and they keep going and doing the same thing over and over again, right? They just keep going. And they feel like they're going to get to some place that they're not headed toward. I don't know if that makes sense. But they're right, that they're going to they're, they're moving in life, and they believe that they have a direction that they're headed, but they're not headed in that direction. And, and I often say like. Nothing changes if nothing changes.
1: Yes. And I think I was on that treadmill of just expecting something to change because I was going to will it to where I was going to figure it out or, or whatever. And had those life events with me turning 50 and Tanner and his diabetes and, and, and my dad dying. I don't
0: sure all of that stuff.
1: All I, I I can't imagine what life would look like now if something else would have happened because sure. My faith just tells me that there would have been some other intervention if that had been it. Sure.
0: That's good. Yeah. And how wonderful that you had faith to hold you, like to lean on and to know that you have something bigger than you in that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that that is honestly with where we're at right now with this pandemic stuff. Yeah. I think that's what's helped sustain me now is because even when I was fearful and I didn't trust, I've always had a, you know, food on the table. I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had the essence, the essentials of life. I'm in a much better position than a lot of people are. So Mm -hmm. that's been a huge growth in trust that things are going to turn out, even when it doesn't look like it, they are going to turn out.
0: That is a great mindset. It's a forward thinking mindset and a, Faith-based mindset, I guess you would say too. Mm-hmm. I want to hear a lesson that you learned through this experience that you could not have learned any other way. Maybe a lesson about yourself or no. a lesson about your support system or just life in general.
1: Well, let's see, That I wouldn't have learned any other way. I think I had opportunities to learn this before, but sometimes didn't always trust it enough. And that is listen to your intuition. Mm. I think we have g- been given that gift of intuition and reasoning. And I think sometimes we don't trust ourselves enough to utilize it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very grateful for the friendships and the experiences I had living out there. But I should have listened to my intuition in the beginning to not move. And how that would impact my kids with the relationship with their grandf- with their grandparents. Which they didn't ultimately have the relationship I wish they could have. Yeah. So I think if if you just if we just use our intuition and trust our gut, and
0: I saw your picture and you have a T-shirt that says that like trust your yes, gut. Yes, I do. I, I do. love that. <laughs> I love it's that. The profile page.
1: You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, I think you know trusting that and listening to your intuition because I think sometimes when you my self-esteem is in a much better place. I've worked really hard at that, but when you don't have healthy self-esteem then you're asking everybody else's for their opinion instead of trusting yourself. And only, you know, in your heart, sometimes it's good to get other people's feedback, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, you know, like do your research, but ultimately you have to make the decision of what's best for you. And that's where that I had to make that decision to move back to Nebraska, even though everybody else was giving me different opinions and, and do I leave or do I stay or whatever. I knew that I had, To, I knew I had for my own survival, I had to leave. Yeah. And I think we don't listen to our intuition enough. That's probably the number one lesson.
0: Okay. And I think that you oftentimes, I always tell people that sometimes you learn what that voice is in your head, like what that voice is that's telling you what to do right by not listening to it. Like that's how you learn what it is. You're like, oh, that was that voice. Exactly, oh, okay. exactly. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Right. Because I, there's times I did not listen. To, I I can go back and look at all lots of things that have happened in the course of life and chapters, and I can look back to when I trusted my intuition and when I didn't, and how those made an impact yeah. on on what happened. Um, the other thing I really learned was this magical word called boundaries. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot of things about boundaries and having those that I didn't really understand what that looked like.
0: Yeah. Those are great lessons to learn in life and hard to learn. Mm -hmm. Hard, hard, hard. Okay. So I want to hear where you are now. Like, where are you now? How did you get through that to a place of healing and health and
1: newness? (laughs) Wow. Well, I think a lot of it was just, as we said earlier, putting one foot in front of the other re-establishing new focus, new dreams where I wanted to go. I realized with the current business that through some of the changes of the business climate with that, as well as just age and just sometimes you just I was I'm very, very loyal, but it came to a point where I like, you know, this is not doing what I need to financially. I've lost the passion I had for it through probably a sequence of events. My passion was gone. So I looked at, you know, pursuing a different road. A couple of those things didn't work out. And I had to swallow my pride a little bit and just go get a job, you know, and I had done a lot of networking and people knew me. So I was afraid of what people were going to think. And that was all just all me. I didn't need to worry about that. But um, so I had to go craft and learn a new skill and learn a new industry and go back into a business to business sales, which before I'd been in a business to consumer type of environment. I just knew, well, first of all, I said, okay, I have to find something in a career, do something that. Financially, we had lost everything. So starting over at 50, you can't save yourself through to retirement. You know, so I was thinking of ways I could create residual incomes and have opportunities to get me out of that six figure debt I had from my divorce. My mom basically bankrolled on under credit cards. We had to, we basically took her free and clear house and put a mortgage on it that I make the monthly mortgage on it now to pay for all of that attorney's fees and all that stuff. So one, I felt a huge responsibility to my mom. You know, I had to take, had to add that on, but being, but no one's motivated by debt, you know, so looking at the financial burden and and the hole that I was in, I couldn't focus on that. I had to focus on how do I want to live my life? What an example can I be to my kids? how can I rise up out of these ashes and be an example and show them how to do this, show other people to do this. And honestly, just to thrive and live the life that I dreamt of having that I hadn't lived for lots and lots of years, because even though the dream was there, the, the money was not being managed. The money wasn't there. So how can I take that, what I've learned and pivot and learn from it and really create the financial situation where I want to be. And I've been able to, uh, I'm very relationship-oriented, and so take those skills and and go work it in my job, and and earn a very good income, and be able to. Uh, in the last two years, uh, be, partially because of the compensation program of the company, I've been able to pay off fifty thousand dollars worth of debt in the last two years, wow. not including um, you know still continuing on the mortgage for my house. So, again, it goes back to vision. You have to have, you know, it's it's about you know the pain of staying the same versus the pain of change, and the pain of staying the same and never living the life that I wanted to. I mean, I moved out of a house where we had a nice house in a nice neighborhood and we adopted all the orphans around and had 13 to 14 people gathering for holidays and loved cooking and all this entertaining. And I went to a place where like, I don't have this. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, this year, later on this year, I was going to do it this spring, but it's not going to work with the pandemic. So later on this year, I'm going to buy my house that I can have those gatherings again, because that's been one of the hardest things is not having the gatherings and the holidays. And so it's just keeping that dream and that vision in front of me Yeah, and knowing that, you know, if Colonel Sanders and Mary Kay Ash and all sorts of other people can start over at 50, I can too. Absolutely. So tell
0: me about your, your relationship with your kids and what happened. They, they grew up with their dad and now.
1: So, you know, isn't that ironic that they They lived in Washington. We were divorced. And now both the kids are in Nebraska. That seems like some healing. Yeah. And so we were, this happened in August when things really just like fell apart. Right. Like, you know, trying to move back. I know I moved all my stuff back and all that stuff. So that following Thanksgiving, I had purchased two plane tickets for each one of the kids with unaccompanied minor passes and stuff to fly to see me. My son refused to get on the airplane. My seven-year-old daughter got on that airplane all by herself and flew from Washington to Nebraska. Wow. I look back at that now and think if she never would have gotten on that airplane, I may not have the relationship with her that I have. Yeah. She and I saw each other regularly, probably every six weeks. She was either here for holidays or for summer break, or I was going out there. So with a little bit of exception, every six weeks. So I worked really hard on my relationship with her And, um, bought her a phone. Her dad wasn't wild about it, but grandma bought it. And we would talk on the phone. And that was before we could do all the FaceTiming and some of that stuff. But we talked on the phone and we visited and we just, I worked really hard to keep that relationship with her. And my son doesn't like talking on the phone. We've really learned in the last two or three years, he has a lot of anxiety, which is probably why he didn't want to get on the airplane. So I would see him maybe for an hour when I would go out there to visit. So trying to cultivate a relationship with not a lot of things in common. He and I just didn't have a relationship really yeah. until about four years ago, this last January, I had just, I talked to him here and there and and felt like things were open, but there just wasn't a relationship. And he was just really, really mad and angry at me because I left um, because they were told that I had abandoned them and I had kidnapped them and all sorts of stuff. Okay. Right. So I flew him. I met him in Denver, and because he loved the Denver Nuggets, and I said, "Let's meet in Denver, and then I'll take you to a basketball game for your birthday." And that worked, and created a little bit of opened the door. And then he talked about coming back to Nebraska for the summer because he wanted to pursue graphic design. And it, that was for his 19th birthday. And he came to Nebraska, got off the airplane, and said, "Mom, can I just live here? Can I just live with you?" And I went, "Well, yeah. I mean, what do you say?" Right. <laughs> you know. So in June will be the four years since he moved back to Nebraska. He didn't tell his dad or his sister. That's a whole nother dynamic of how they felt about that. But, and it's been really difficult and hard for us to build that relationship. We had to go through a lot of anger, a lot of conversations, um, learn about each other. And we we'll, we're still doing it. And I had to earn his trust. I had to earn his respect and, and at the same time, keep some boundaries there. And there's been yelling and screaming matches and he's had significant health issues, For the last three years that we haven't been able to find our answers for in addition to his diabetes so I think the I would never want for him to go through all this pain all these health issues that he's gone through because it's hurt my heart it's it's just been very very painful to watch that but I also know intuitively that if he hadn't had some of these health issues his and my relationship would not be there because He's had to allow me to care for him and support him and be there and rely on me and know that I could be that mom that I always wanted to be for him.
0: Yeah. I think it's pretty cool that they came to be with you in the end. I mean, I tell people this a lot, like growing up time is very short in comparison to the rest of our life. And,
2: you know... It's
1: so funny you say that because I used to say... He can have them for the first 17 years. I get them for the rest. Yeah. You know, and, and and I don't want people, I don't want anyone who hears this to think that he is a bad man and that he was not a good tad to the kids because I know he tried very hard. Um, but I think we all have times when our lives where we just, this is what we think our normal is. And we don't know if our behaviors are good or bad. And I understand him enough now that I can have conversations and not be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter had wanted to come back at the end of middle school, and then through some conversations with her dad, chose to stay through high school. So that was like another loss because I thought she was going to move. Mm-hmm. But she graduated from high school this last June, stayed to hang out for the summer because she would never had summers in Washington, so hung out with her friends. And then in September, I, you know, flew out there and we rented a truck and, you know, drove her car and drove her back and had kind of like a whole road trip driving back from Washington to Nebraska. And now she's living with me and. And I love that it's it's all it's good you know we've had it's been challenging for her to learn the adjustments and we've had our challenges as well but of course nothing's perfect but um I, I'm very very blessed to have my kids here with me very very blessed
0: yeah and I want to know I mean if you could go back and change anything would you change anything would you change your decision to move or
1: you know I regret that I had to leave the kids behind, mm-hmm. but I don't know how I could have survived any other way,
2: yeah,
1: because the judge would not have let me move to Nebraska. There would not have been any grounds in his mind to move to Nebraska and bring the kids. I would have been stuck there. I would have had to make a decision in some way to leave because mm-hmm. I knew I just I just knew that I could not survive out there, yeah, I just knew I couldn't so. And I've told the kids, I said, do I regret things? Do you think it was wrong what I did? Yes, I know that. But at the time, it seemed the right decision. And that's all we can do in life is make the right decision that we think we need to at the time.
0: Can just do the best we can.
1: Yeah. And I said, you know, There's lots of things that I wish I would have learned from grandma and that she wish she would have taught me, but I know she did the best she could, and I have to accept that and know that that's okay and forgive her and take what I know she maybe could have taught me and pivot and just try to make it different for you guys. Mm -hmm. I can't hold it against her because her heart was always in the right place. Mm -hmm. Everything I've done for you guys has been for the benefit of you, right or wrong. Mm -hmm.
0: So, are you doing anything now? that in the middle of that whole sadness that you didn't think you would ever be doing?
1: Hmm. I'm pursuing different career paths than I ever thought I would because I thought I would be at that company forever. Oh, that's good. So I would say that that's good. I'm venturing out and looking at, I mean, I've tried things that I never thought I would try just maybe because I thought I would never try it or do it, you know, Mm -hmm. and just maybe some of that's just... um, I think the biggest thing, I never thought I would start a business from scratch and that's what I'm doing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I—and it's through that self-discovery uh-huh. and, and that pursuit of my future and where I wanted to go that I really realized that at the core of what I loved about that business that I was doing when I was in Missouri and in Washington, at the core of it, I always dreamt of being a teacher. I love to help and coach and teach people. Yeah, And that's what I loved most about that business was the coaching and teaching piece. Yeah. And I had so many great mentors that if I could take those things and work in my special, my genius zone, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and be able to help other people, then that's my gift. That's my gift to show my kids how I can rise from the ashes and create a life, not just with the success I have in my job, but also by buying a house again and going on the vacations and the And the success symbols sometimes, you know, the the things that we dream about being able to do with our kids and vacations, being able to do that with them and and create a legacy for them and their, and their kids as they get married and have their own family and and just really be that example to them of, this is how you do it, guys. This is how you take crap and you lift yourself up out of it and you fix it and you change it. And so did I know how I was going to do this coaching stuff? No, but you put it out there and just saying, I'm going to figure it out. And the resources arrive and you figure it out. I love that.
0: Okay. I have one, a couple more questions. One of the questions is, what would you tell yourself if you could go back in time to just before everything changed, Before while you're making the decision, whether you're going to move to Nebraska or not, and you're sitting wherever you are, and you can maybe picture that, what would you tell yourself if you could go back from, you right now, to that woman back then
1: to trust myself, that I am a good person, that I am worthy, that I am a good mom, all those self doubt things that you tell yourself or that you allowed other people to
0: infer yeah. somehow you'd go back and tell her that,
2: yeah,
1: just like I tell my daughter now,
2: yeah,
0: I love that, so. What are the top three things that you think that people who are going through big life changes like that need to know? Maybe it's not the same big life change. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just something big that's happening in their life that's hard. What are the top three things that they need to know?
1: And I don't mean to sound this as just a cliche, but this will pass. <laughs> we're, I remember someone once saying, you know, we're either going into or in the middle or coming out of a crisis. That is so true. And and, and so I think we, somehow I had this vision in growing up that, okay, I'm going to arrive at this place and then life is just going to be cool. I don't know how people get that vision, but they sure do.
0: Don't they? I do too. I had that too.
1: And I didn't realize there was going to be ups and downs. So my emotional resilience now is much greater than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I think there's an emotional resilience that we develop. Instead of thinking everything's going to be perfect, to say, you know, there's going to be junk that happens. It's how you respond to it. It's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. You can choose to be the victor or the victim. I like that. And I think if you, there are people through this pandemic that are going to be depressed and very sad, and there's other people who are going to come out and thrive through it. It's what lens are you looking at it through? Are you looking backwards? Or are you looking forward? Are you looking through the rearview mirror? Are you looking forward? However, you want to phrase that. We're gonna come you are gonna come through this. Yeah. And and I don't know of any time that you're not a better person after coming back through an op- obstacle. Why do we love diamonds? Well, they were pressured by a bunch of being a bunch of coal. It was through pressure. Yep. There's a lot of
0: pressure always creates beauty in the end. Absolutely. And I think if, if you can
1: keep focused on that.
0: Yeah. I say this a lot and I've said it a lot on my podcast too, but one of my very favorite quotes and I have a refrigerator magnet that says this, everything will be okay in the end. And mm-hmm. if it's not okay, it's not the end. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's, it's really Absolutely. true, right? If it's not okay, it's not the end. We're in no. the middle of
1: it. Yes. And I had a, A word just came to me when I was driving and I was so upset at one point. And the word I heard was patience has its sweet reward.
0: I like that. I think you wrote that. And when I saw your story before. Yeah.
1: So I think if you, when you're going through stuff, I, I think you have to know that there is going to be an end to this. Mm -hmm. I think you absolutely must have a support system. Do not even think for a minute. You can go through this by yourself. You cannot, we were not created that way. Nope. And do not think you can go through this by yourself. I think that's the second thing. And then I think you you need to listen to yourself. You need to trust yourself, but also know, you've probably heard this, when emotions are high, intelligence goes low. (laughs) And sometimes we have to just slow down and, and let that decision marinate A little bit I ultimately ended up doing the thing that I thought I was going to do but it ended up being six months to nine months later I you know I tried to work through the process and 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 I'm not saying trying to put any time on things but I think that there are times we get upset or mad or we react to things and make decisions that maybe aren't the best decision if we would have just maybe thought about it overnight even just how we respond to someone sure
0: I love that. Those are great, great nuggets of wisdom. Thanks for sharing those. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for being vulnerable with us and just telling that hard story. It's hard.
1: Yeah. Obviously by the emotions, you know, here we are 12 years later, 11 years later, it still brings worse emotions. Yes, it does.
0: Well, it's a big deal. No, it's, those are good emotions. Good things to let out. Okay. I want to hear now about how we can get in touch with you, where people can find
1: you. Um, yeah, all of that. Probably the best way would be to, um, you could reach out via email, which is uh, L-Y-N-E-T-T-E-S-O-R-R at Gmail. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes too. Okay. So, so you could probably reach out via email. Uh, you can find me on Facebook if you want to private messenger me. Um, my uh, My coaching, I have a group. As well as I'm starting up a business page and it's advance you, A-D-V-A-N-C-E-Y-O-U, so not the university, but Advance okay. U. Um, so I mean, you can reach out to me through Facebook, through Messenger, through email. Um, and you know, I know that we are when any of us have these difficulties or challenges, I think the reason it's good to tell stories is, you know, even think about a sermon, think about stuff. You don't remember all, all the things that someone told you intellectually it's the story that grabbed you
2: yeah
1: and and if someone wise woman told me a long time ago you know you're going through these obstacles and challenges either one to grow yourself or two because it's going to serve to benefit someone else somewhere down the road someday
2: yeah
1: so where i'm going with that is if i can help someone and if this story has impacted one person or or whatever you know i would love to hear about that because i think that sometimes my love language is verbal affirmations and if I know I'm putting it out there, you know, I'd love to know I helped somebody.
0: That's good. Okay. Well, if if this was helpful for you, then make sure you message Lynette and tell her how helpful it was for you. So, okay. I have three questions now that I ask everybody on my podcast. The first one we might've already heard about, but maybe there's a different one. Um, a pivotal event that changed you.
1: Well, this was definitely one of them. <laughs> Probably the most significant. I think there were other things, but, but those, this, this was probably the most life changing one of all. Yeah. Sure. Of
0: course. I'm glad you shared it with us. So the next question is a person who changed you.
1: Mary Kay Ash. I love that.
0: How did she change you?
1: Well, that was the business that I had for 20, 25 years.
2: Yeah.
1: And everybody thinks that that company is all about just selling lipstick and earning pink cars and. And, and and all about the, the, the product, not at all. It's about Mary Kay the woman and the, the things that you learn about focusing on others and people skills and communication skills. There's so much about life that I learned in my 20 plus years in that company that now I can, that I, that I use in everyday life. I mean, I would not have the success in my career and developing this coaching business if it weren't for those years that I learned things from her when she was alive and speaking to even just um, some of the other, uh, uh, you know, to her books and the other things. I mean, there's, she's written yeah. some incredible books, but she was a very, very, very wise woman. Yeah. And I know easily that my life went on significant trajectory when I chose to become a consultant in 1988 mm-hmm. and became with that company and moved forward with just building the business because of all the stuff I learned.
0: I have heard nothing but things like that about her.
1: I it's, it's
0: fascinating. And I, I would say I have that same experience in the company that I work with, and with Young Living. I've had nothing but positive personal growth and mm-hmm. professional growth as well, but certainly personal growth that rivals anything I ever did through years and years and years of counseling education.
1: You know, and I think a lot of people will poo poo direct sales or network marketing companies.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I will tell you, first of all, I think the, the generally speaking, the quality of the products are going to surpass the majority of the stuff you can get in retail off the shelf. Mm. But secondly, it's the, it's like a personal development and pers- personal improvement program while you're making money at the same time. It I mean, absolutely it's, is. It's, it's the best personal program, improvement program you will ever be on and the legacy and things you can teach your kids along the way because of what they observed with you working from home. I mean, I could even go off on a tangent of whole bunch of stories about my kids talking about that, yeah, yeah. it's amazing,
0: yeah. Thank you for saying that because i I totally agree, and I've experienced that as well myself, so mm-hmm. okay. the last the last question is a book that changed you. Mm.
2: There's been a lot.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there
1: have two of them come to mind, okay. can i can I give you two? Sure. I'll put them both in the show notes, okay. One was. Adele Carnegie book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's a very old book, but it was significant back in my late 20s, early 30s. Uh-huh. The other one was one that I was at a Christian bookstore and it was like this woman, she had been an angel or something. She was like, This woman walked by, grabbed this book and gave it to me and said, This is a great book. How did she know what I was needing or looking at, right? And oh, it was goodness. called How to Deal with the Dad of Your Past. Oh. And I did not have a healthy relationship with my, I will say my birth dad, my biological father. Uh Um, He was just one of those absentee dads. And I found because I did not have a close relationship with him, I had a very difficult time translating that from a faith standpoint. Mm -hmm. And once I read that book that helped me transition and really understand because my grandfather was much more of a significant uh, father figure when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So was uh, it, no, dealing with the dad of your past. That's what it was called. Dealing with the dad of your past. Okay. I will put it in the show notes. Thank you um, for sharing so that. Those are two.
0: And I, I'm on a mission to have people read more. So I appreciate those two suggestions. I'm going to, I'll have to check them both out too.
1: I think so. the dealing with the dad of your past is, you know, I don't know if it's still in print or not, or I have no idea, but I think that there are a lot of young girls that didn't have not had a dad present. Mm. And so and when we don't have a dad present, whether they're never been around the house or the kind of absentee because they're just not present there, you could probably answer this, but I think it, it oversimplified when you don't have that, you find yourself as a girl looking for love in all the wrong places.
0: That's very true.
1: And making lots of choices about relationships. And that's maybe a whole nother book or conversation oh. I'd like to pursue on some Part in my life, you know, is because I think we make a lot of bad relationship decisions because we didn't have that grounding from our dad. Yep. And or we were never taught.
0: Yeah, it's really true. It is very true that that happens with people without a real presence of a father. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Thank you for sharing those three things. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for just being here with us today.
1: And I'm looking forward to more conversations. I am too. I'm honored. Thank you so much, Wendy, for the opportunity to do this and we'll help some people out there. Yep. We'll see you. We'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Wendy.
0: What an honor to listen to Lynette's story. Working through such hard decisions of leaving her kiddos and working through shame and anger and pain and grief. I was struck by my own response. I wondered what kind of a friend I would have been. Would I have judged her? Would I have accepted her? Would I have questioned her? When we don't know the whole story, there is such a temptation to judge other people based on what we think the story is. This was a good reminder for me. I believe we all do the best we can in the situations we're in. No one can look at our life from the outside and know why we do what we do. She made a choice to be healthy, and in the end, it turned out to be the best choice she could have made. Her relationship with her kids has grown and developed into a growing positive connection, and I love that. I love that she was able to model health for her kids. And the thing that stood out to me in the interview the most was a theme that went all throughout the conversation. We need our people. We were created to be in community, surrounded by supportive and present people who know us, who love us for who we are, who know the good and the bad and still love us. People who are not going anywhere and who you can add value to as well. We need to be part of a collective, a community, a tribe. When we are taken away from our people, we cannot be authentically ourselves. So my story is that my husband and I have a tribe. We call ourselves the Gang of Eight, four couples who do life together. We laugh together, really with and at each other, and we know each other's quirky sides. We cry together and tell each other our successes and our failures. We talk about marriage and faith and kids and even politics, which, by the way, we don't all agree on any of that stuff. But we celebrate everything together. We love each other. And we all know that no matter what, we will be accepted. The beautiful and the ugly in our lives, we bring it to each other and feel secure. I can't tell you how blessed I am to have this group. And this kind of commitment and vulnerability and acceptance takes time. Lots of time. More than a decade. My advice to you is go find your gang of eight. Go find them and don't let them go. You know, Lynette realized that she was alone and that she was going to die inside if she was without her support. We all will. We need people. So who are your people? Do you tell them how thankful you are for them? My advice again, invest in them. Invest time and emotion and energy. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and don't let go. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life. And check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.